Anybody here for the first time? Okay. Oh, you were here the first time on Sunday, also. Yes, sir. And somebody else raised their hand? You first time? Okay. You're making movies, that's huh? pretty cool. Anybody else first time? Okay. So, welcome. Welcome to the Wednesday night Darshan program. How long has this been going on? A couple of years now? Six years. Six years, yeah. Six years. A variety of people have been coming and going over the years. Ashton's been here since like, and, and Reagan, since the episode one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> one, one, one. First edition. First edition. Who was here for the first time? These two right here, Ashton oh, and Reagan. Okay, 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 cool. Just those two strange people in the front. Couldn't play here? Just us two strange ones in the front. Okay, yeah. Well, there was uh, strange ones. Actually, if, if you're in the material world, you're in that group. <laughs> because um, everybody here is in a awkward position, very, very awkward position in this material world. Big, as my business card says, um, we're in the, our very existence is in the atmosphere of non-existence right now. That's one of the problems. And as long as we're talking about it, I don't know why I decided to go there. Let's go with the flow, that's my nature. Our very existence is in the atmosphere of non-existence. Actually, we're not meant to be threatened by non-existence. Our existence is eternal, but somehow or another, we're put into asat. Asat returns to that which does not exist. Generally, on these programs, we will read a little bit or discuss some of the points from Bhagavad Gita. I usually start speaking at 7, so now it's 7.30. It's supposed to end at a quarter to 8. So now what am I supposed to do? Just stop real fast for 15 minutes, see if I can have 45 minutes. Okay. I always like to follow the rules and regulations. When we speak of, a lot of times we hear nowadays that I'm spiritual but not religious. This is one of the ideas commonly said. Because actually even different religious traditions um, bring us into a, a fold of... <laughs> Hello out there. They bring us into a, a, another type of uh, uh, identity or what would you call designation. <coughs> the nature of this material world is that there's so many different types of designations based on the particular types of nature we have. I will discuss this a little things. A little cold outside, warm water a bit. It's the same temperature. <laughs> okay. Right now, going back to our designation, 
there's so many different types of designations in this world, um, species-wise. According to the Vedic literature, according to the ancient teaching of the Veda, there are 8,400,000 different species of life. And they're divided into there are 400,000 human, different types of human species. Some we see, some we don't, because some are on other uh, planets and stuff like that. Bird, insect, um, aquatic, and animals like that. So different types of living entities. And they all have different types of designations. So sometimes we'll, nowadays, like I was beginning, it's people want to identify themselves as being spiritual, but they don't like the idea of religion. Because in religion, so much, um, as you call it again, uh, what, we, what was the word I used? Not, um, identification and then uh, we identify with a particular group and if my group agrees with your group then you're cool and if it doesn't it's not cool we're trying to emphasize this a little bit on Sunday because um, uh, religion is also a designation I'm Hindu I'm Christian I'm Jew I'm Buddhist I'm this or that when you come down to the essential nature of the soul, or the essential nature of everything, um, it has what is called dharma. Uh, the word dharma means the intrinsic nature of particular um, energy or a particular living or non-living uh, entity. Just like the dharma of water is liquidity. You, you, know, you can't take liquidity away from water. If you can make water hot, then it becomes steam. It's no longer water. You can make water cold, and then it becomes ice. That's something different. Um, the dharma of fire is that it has heat and light. That is the intrinsic nature of fire. And so, what is the intrinsic nature of the individual, us as individual souls? What is our what is our dharma? What is our intrinsic nature? What are we? In fact, again today, I got the great opportunity to begin right reading Bhagavad Gita from the introduction. And it was describing that um, unless one comes to the point of questioning, what am I? Or what am I? And what am I meant to do? That person actually hasn't even achieved human life yet, even though they may be residing in the human body. Because the function of human life is to understand our intrinsic nature in relationship to the Supreme Lord. So when we examine our nature, when we examine our nature, we find that you're blocking somebody. I can see the eyes of everybody, because I want to make sure I'm not drifting off into outer space. <laughs> When we, um, when we discuss the intrinsic nature, we can see, and we've explained this many times, that um, you can see that in human life and many other species of life, that every living entity, especially in human life, A serves B, B serves C, maybe I get the alphabet right, C <laughs> serves D, D serves E, etc. And we can see that everybody's serving something. That is our intrinsic nature. That is the nature 
of our existence. Our, our nature is to serve. You can you can be you can serve in a religious tradition, be it Hindu, Christian, Judeo, Buddhistic, whatever any religious tradition, and identify yourself and give you a distinction. But in essence, we are servants. We are servants. So if we, our nature, according to Gita and according to other religious traditions, is that we are all created by God, or we're all existing. Actually, the soul has no time that it did not exist. The creation, um, we get this creation theory, or this creation idea, hypotheses, from the fact that we base everything on history, because that's what's common with, you know, we you know, in 1984 I did this, in 1964 I did this, and this, so everything's kind of like on a historical basis. But beyond that, beyond that, the nature of the soul, that the soul is unborn, it's undying, it's primeval, um, and that when the when the when the body becomes incapable of, um, or the body becomes uninhabitable due to disease, due to age, due to accident, due to some type of circumstance, then the soul exits this material body, and that exiting of the soul from the body is called death. Combination is called death. But the soul does not stop existing at that point. I think it was Sunday we brought up this point that we see this even in our, our current uh, life. Komaram yovanam jada. We start, we go from childhood, boyhood to childhood to youth to old age. We're changing bodies at all times. And so at the time of death, the soul just transfers into another type of body. And that's based on one's karma, uh, one's actions. Uh, we use karma usually in the material sense nowadays to refer to something that unfortunate incident, but karma just means to act. And so we, going back to my first statement is that some people, I and mean, a lot of people like to call themselves spiritual but not religious because the religious connotation is kind of like, like Define some define us in ways which we're not comfortable. But if we can come to the point of religion, where it is sanatandara, where it is eternal nature, where it is the eternal intrinsic nature of my uh, of myself as a soul, then that religious principle or that religious practice which gives us that facility, it is true religion. Uh, the word religion in, one's, in, a, in one definition is the same as yoga. Religion means to reunite our, our consciousness, our, our life, or our act, and our actions with that of the Supreme Lord. The same as yoga. Yoga means to link or to connect or to huge uh, the, our Whatever we're doing in the, in the relationship, whatever we're doing in this material relation, in this material world, in relation to the Supreme Lord, 
because it's not a matter of being embodied that we're moving around and doing so many things. Um, the reason we're active is that it's, it, it is the principle or the nature of the soul to be always active. The soul is always active. Uh, we can experience that even a little bit because even when we sleep and when we're inactive, in one sense, physically inactive, even when we're sleeping, we become active. Just like when I was waking up this morning, somehow or another, which I don't usually do very often, I was dreaming I was doing kirtan. I was playing the harmonium, and I was actually much better than I actually am. I was, I was actually, I said, whoa, I'm doing pretty good here. And I, I said, don't get proud, you'll be taken away. So I just immediately kind of chilled my brain and my mind, you know. Even in my dream, I was getting trained up, right? And so, um, even in our dream, in our dreams, we're active. In our in our subconscious level, we're active. And um, and so that get kind of kind of shows that kind of it actually shows that we're never inactive. We're always active. And when when the body becomes, uh, you know, when we leave this body, the soul remains active. The soul remains active, and it remains an active servant. Remains remains active in a, in a, in a um, subordinate position to the Supreme Lord. Uh, Srila Prabhupada one time, he was saying that any sane man will understand the existence of the soul. Only the insane will think that they are independent of that Supreme Controller. Because if you take a look around, there, there are so many things that we're dependent upon. I was thinking about this the other day because this is something I was, you know, thought about 30 years ago and stuff like that where I was with some Swami friends and aspiring transcendentalists as we all are and we're trying to discuss that we, th we see that where whenever we have a need there's always something to fulfill. The That's okay. Don't worry. At least the, the ceiling didn't collapse. <laughs> <laughs> okay, remind me whenever there's a need, there's a substance to provide that need. Just like today I was reading, I mean, Sunday I was thinking to give a, a read a verse, and in that verse, it was, it was described that there's a nice chapter, 12th chapter, it's the end of the Bhakti chapters. The, the chapters on devotional activities. And then Krishna begins to describe those types of people who are dear to him. One who's not envious, one who's this, one who's like this, one who's like that. And in the commentary he starts talking about so many different things that uh, one should not be envious. Envy means that someone has something that that I think I should have, but I'm not allowed to have, and therefore you become envious that person, and it's unhealthy. It's, it's, it's a contamination of the heart. And in that commentary he was describing, this is all due to the fact that something dropped off the table over there, <laughs> that um, when something, um, something unfortunate happens to us, one who is in spiritual consciousness, he's not disturbed by that incident. And he utilizes that situation to develop his spiritual awareness. 
rather than cast blame or cast, um, what do you call it, um, judgment on another, another person, the, actually, the person who is actually transcendentally situated, when something happens, he understands that it as the mercy of the Supreme Lord. And that due to the fact that he's surrendered or given himself to the service of the Lord, that which he was meant to get had been minimized. So when that fell down, and I said at least it wasn't the ceiling, that's what I meant. In other words, you know, it could have been the ceiling, but it was just your bottle of water or one of your cameras or whatever it was. And hopefully it didn't break in your suffering. <laughs> and in the same way, if something fortunate happens to someone, they'll think that even though even though I'm so really undeserving, and it's not a matter of what is that? Um, having an infer inferior Say it. Inferiority. Inferiority. Yeah, sometimes I, my brain has a little defect. Um, inferiority complex, or when one feels, what is it? There's another one for that. Self-esteem. Self-esteem. Self that when self-esteem is low, it's not like that. It's not like that. One actually understands that my deficit is that I have somehow or another misused my, um, my new independence. Um, we have independence. The Supreme Lord is Surat. He has full independence. And because we're coming from God, we have minute independence. We have, we have independence. We have minute independence. And due to our misusing that minute independence, we've ended up in this material world. And in the material world, it is called Marchiloka, um, which means a planet where we undergo supposedly undergo repeated birth and death, ultimately a soul does not die. And it's called Durantiya, it's called a prison. A prison. When one is, when one is incarcerated, uh, it's not a very nice situation. Even though when I was incarcerated, I had a good, I had gone cell one time and another time I was with one other devotee, and so it was, it was okay. I wasn't a criminal, I mean, of course everybody in there said they weren't criminals. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was distributing religious books and they thought that was a criminal activity I should be incarcerated and then other things like that but um, material world is Durantia, material world is a prison and so every, you know, while I was in prison even though I was in a protected space due to the kindness of the guards it was still a dangerous position and so in this material world we always find ourselves in anxiety, we find ourselves uh, being pinched, being you know um, affected by the different stringent laws of material nature, and so going back to that um, to the point where um, something good happens or something bad happens, um, we have to have that mentality that um, whatever is coming my way, I have there, there is certainly some reason I've earned this. And there's a nice story within the Bhagavatam, which is the postgraduate study of this book, where the personification of religion, um, a quick, quick overview, just like in this, on the earth we have different seasonal changes, on the universal scale we have universal changes. Right now we're in the winter season on the universal scale. So in the universal uh, scale, it is called the Kali, the age of quarrel and hypocrisy. 
And so it's a very difficult age, a very difficult situation. And so in that situation, in that situation where we have this, um, we have to expect and we have to just you know, learn the, the, the process of tolerating and overcoming and not, not like in the case of Dharma, the personification of religion, which when he appeared right at the time of Krishna, and Krishna appeared at the cusp between the fall and the winter season, right in the cusp, right in the cusp of that fall and winter season. And so at Krishna, when Krishna decided to go back to the, his eternal abode, which he never is separated from, which is what we call achintya beta beta tapa, which is simultaneously one and different, in other words, inconceivable, beyond our, our, our so-called capability of understanding. But God does not have to fit into our data process. He's above, you know. We, if we think that God has to fit into my ability to digitalize him or datatize him, okay, we're, we're missing. We're missing a very big point. And so in that, in that effort, in that whole concept, we get the ability to understand our eternal relationship with the Supreme Lord. And so we understand, we understand this, that when certain things happen, it is due to our, our effort, you know, our actions. In Dharma, there, he took the form of a bull, the personification of religion, and he was being attacked by the influences of the winter season, Kali Yuga, which is the yuga meaning uh, age, and um, the principles of religion, truthfulness, austerity, cleanliness, and mercy. All three of the four had been broke, three of the four legs had been broken, and the only one that was he was struggling with was truthfulness. That was the last one. The little truthfulness was still available within this world, but the age, with the agent of Kali, the agent of this age, was attacking them. And so he was approached by the monarch, the king of the time, and he said, who is doing this to you? Why is this happening? And he said, if I say that it is due to something outside of myself, then I'm in error. How can something happen that, uh, that is outside of my previous actions? So if some good fortune happens to me, that is due to my previous actions where I do some good fortune, and if some misfortune happens to me, that is due to my previous, um, what would you say? I don't want to say criminal. That is, some, I'll just say it, but take it as a soft word. Our previous criminal activities in this world, and we're reaping a particular result. Even in Judeo tradition, Judeo-Christian tradition, they say, as you sow, shall shall you reap. And so we're reaping a particular result. You know, I have this body, you have that body, everyone here has their body, and we're reaping particular results from our body. Um, everyone has a certain type of discrimination against them, some more, some less, some from this side, some from that side, and that's the nature of the world. And we chose it. You can't blame, you can't blame God, you can't blame the person next to you. You have to just take a look inside your heart and see where I went wrong, you know? You may not be able to see, okay, 15 lifetimes ago, you know, I was this and I did this or that. Those specifics are very difficult to understand. 
The fourth chapter of the Gita explains that the intricacies of action and reaction are practically impossible to understand. It's just like why we're why we're sitting here in Dallas and it's ice cold, whatever, and why somebody is sitting in some place and it's a nice day, whatever. Okay, we'll never figure that out. You can, you can't you can't just go by and try to conceptualize or figure out exactly when you turn left, you turn right, or this happened. And so we have this this aspect this aspect of a sense of responsibility. And when we have when we when we're when we're fortunate enough to have that sense of responsibility, then we have a list of a chance to be judgmental and to be make uh, yeah judgmental, discriminatory, and all kinds of like bodily conception um, decisions rather than spiritual. Um, me being or us being spirit souls, part and parcel of Krishna, and making our decisions, which entail next leads to our actions, thinking, feeling, willing. We, if we think in this spiritual consciousness, then we'll begin to feel that this is who I actually am, and then the conclusion will be that our actions will lead to spiritual, spiritual actions, and those spiritual actions will actually liberate, it from, liberate us from the clutches of this material energy. Whereby if we don't have that consciousness, then that type of consciousness will lead us to certain types of feelings which will lead us to certain types of actions and they actually bind us into this material world. So that was a little like stray off from the camera flying on the floor, but getting back to the need. Where we were in this world, we were, I was discussing with some friends a few decades ago now, that wherever we see a need, just like we need air, we need air to breathe, to exist here for us as human beings. So there's air. There's, there's oxygen, there's nitrogen, or whatever. Oh, I don't even remember my, <laughs> I can't remember all that stuff from high school and college. Uh, we need water, so there's water. We need foodstuffs, so there's foodstuffs. We need relationships, so there's relationships. We need companionship, there's companion. Um, even if one is a yogi living alone in the forest, he has the companion of the Supreme Lord situated within his heart, giving direction and association on the transcendental levels, so the living entity is never alone. Even if they may feel alone, they're never alone. Recently I was reading that loneliness is becoming one of the major uh, symptoms of, it's kind of like considered a disease now, where one is feeling so lonely they feel helpless. And when one feels helpless, they feel that there's no hope practically the same word, and in hopelessness sometimes they, which is not the answer, which is not the answer. And so basically what I'm trying to get to, where, where, wherever we see there, where, whatever, wherever there's a need, we always find a substance or an object or something to fulfill that need. And so when we come to the human form of life, as I was describing before, that if we don't question what we are, and why we're here, and what we're meant to do, we really haven't achieved the human form of life, and therefore we won't understand, we won't be able to ascertain that true need, that substance that will fulfill that need. And instead what we'll do is we'll try to facilitate it with material sensuification. 
because we misidentify ourselves as this material body, what happens is that we engage the body in pursuit of sense gratification because that's all we know. Because we don't know that we're not the material body. We identify with the material body very, very much. And in as much as we identify with the material body, then we think that to gratify the material body is actually going to give us a sense of happiness. But everybody knows that if you repeatedly engage in some type, some type of um, artificial way to subside, to subdue or to put down the, the desires, then what happens is that one becomes addicted to that situation. Say, for example, one is hopeless or one is frustrated, then they take shelter of intoxication. And everybody knows that all types of intoxications are addictive. One takes shelter of mental speculation and finds himself wandering all over the material So there's different types of spec there's different types of speculation. One is philosophical. And philosophical is based on religious principles which are steady and which are which are have a deep foundation. Whereas mental speculation is based on the mind, which is known as um uh, excuse me, the tamana. Manaratam, which is basically means the chariot of the mind. The mind wanders here and there, here and there. And if you've ever been to a yoga, a yoga, a hatha yoga center, they always talk about the monkey of the mind, and the monkey mind is running here and running there. And if you ever go to India, especially where Krishna was born, there's a little town called Vrindavan, and there's all kinds of very mischievous monkeys there. In, in Bengal, they have different types of monkeys. They're more tame, they're more nicer. They don't bother you so much, but in Vrindavan, they'll steal everything. They'll steal, they'll steal your glasses, they'll steal your cell phone. One, one devotee, they even stole this bead bag because now they've figured out we've got zippers on our bead bag and we keep money in it, so we want to go purchasing. So in order, so in order to control the the flickering nature of the mind, one must find something that is steady. And the steady, the steady aspect is called kutasta, which means the nature of the soul. The nature of the soul is very, very, uh, very steady. Now when, when, the mind, when, when, we, when we fall into illusion, when we fall into the illusion of this material atmosphere, this material conditioned existence, we find ourselves, again, um, seeking out shelter in an area where we won't find shelter. They're known as fallible soldiers. The Bhagavatam talks about this, again Bhagavatam being the postgraduate study to this, but they're known as fallible soldiers. <coughs> uh, family, country, society, and all these types of things we try to or material objects or these kind of things, we try to find shelter in them to bring us happiness. But if we don't know what we are, how do we, how do we know that that's actually going to give us happiness? Um, if we're not this material body, no matter what we give it, it's really not going to make the mark. But as soon as we find out that we're actually a spirit soul and our dharma, our remember that word dharma, our intrinsic nature is that of servitude. In this material world, we find ourselves being servants. We have to serve something, right? You can't go without serving something. You have to, even, you know, when the, when the time comes, you have to serve the body at certain times. You know, you can't, you can't avoid it, you know? And so, 
if that's our if that's our intrinsic nature, if that's our dharma, then our in the spiritual sense our dharma is also service. When we come to our spiritual nature. Our spiritual nature is also one of servitude. And that servitude is broken into five different categories according to one's relationship with the Supreme Lord. One can find themselves in a relationship of neutrality, or as an actual servant, or as a servant friend. And as you can see now, we're going up in intimacy here. Uh, neutrality, a chair serves in neutrality. Um, friends serve in French, or servants serve in friendship, just like someone may bring a cup of water, or sometimes it's a friend also, friendly service. And then you have friendship. Um, Arjun, which the Bhagavad Krishna spoke Bhagavad Gita to, was in a relationship with Krishna in friendship. Um, and Srila Prabhupada explains that type of friendship is a little difficult to understand based on our experience of material friendships in this world because the friendships in this material world are very fluctuating. As long as I'm scratching your back, you'll scratch mine, and as soon as you stop scratching mine, read between the lines and all kinds of stuff. <laughs> and, um, and then you get to parental relationships, which are even deeper. Don't, don't get between the mama bear and the baby bear, or you'll find out what parental relationships are like. Right? And then conjugal. All these types of relationships are here in the material world. So where are they coming from? They have to come from spiritual. Now in the material world, they're just a perverted reflection of that which exists on the in the spiritual world. And they're, they're perverted. They're a perverted reflection. 15th chapter, I almost forgot what chapter, 15th chapter talks about a banyan tree uh, that has its roots growing up and its branches growing down. And it's nourished by the three modes of material nature, material nature being goodness, passion, and ignorance, and it nourishes that tree. But where do we find a tree in the material world where the roots grow up and the branches grow down? And that is that in a reflection. So the material world is a reflection where the roots are here and the reflection is coming down. But the real source of that tree is the spiritual world where the roots are on the body and it goes up. And so the fruits of those of that spiritual tree are um, when one is immersed in complete pure love of the Supreme Lord and then at that point the soul becomes satisfied. We can use this material body that we have now, as they say sometimes, make the best use of a bad bargain. So we can utilize it when we gain a little knowledge. We can, we can use that knowledge to utilize, use, utilize. I don't like when I use the same word twice. We can use this body, to, and I'll do it. We use this body to utilize it, this body, this, this machine, Yantha the body is like a machine meant to be manipulated by the soul, and we can use that body in the service of the Supreme Lord. And even in this lifetime, for one who is engaged in that, on that path, is actually in a liberated stage. Uh, liberation, liberation meaning fully connected to the Supreme Lord. And although it may be separated by 
the influence of the material energy because the actions are intended to be uh, for the satisfaction of the Lord. Even though there may be some material covering, the intent is there. Uh, so Krishna is, you know, he's really a, you know, he's, he's really kind. He's very kind. And so he, if we have even out, even like a, an intellectual or um, what would you say, thoughtful intention or any type of intention, you know, towards Krishna. Krishna takes that attention and discards that which is outside of that intention. Um, we still get the results of those outside attentions, but he magnifies those internal intentions. So much so that on a material level, our actions will bring reap us good and bad results, but those things come and go. Whereas our spiritual intentions and our spiritual actions are never diminished at any time. And then this endeavor, spiritual uh, actions, there's no loss and there's no diminution. And a little advancement on this spiritual path can protect one Bayat. Bayat means fear. can protect one from the most dangerous type of fear. So we don't want to be fearful in this world, we want to be fearless. But the Bhagavad Gita describes that one who is in knowledge and one who is knowledge is in the mode of goodness, they know what is to be feared and what is not to be feared. It's pretty cool that Bhagavad Gita because the Bhagavad Gita says that one has to be fearless. And then again it says that one of the aspects of Krishna are fear and one of the aspects of Krishna are fearlessness. And so it's just a matter of knowing what we're meant to fear and what we're not meant to fear. Because spiritually we have no, nothing to fear because we're not this material body. But we do have something to fear and if we don't utilize this human form of life, especially in, this, in, the, in, the, in the actions or the process of uh, engaging in the devotional service of life, uh, uh, service of the Lord, then there's a tendency that will fall back into the material energy. And when we fall back into the material energy, then we're subjected to the, uh, the nature of this world, which is birth, death, um, uh, janma, birth, ritual, uh, death, jira, old uh, age, uh, disease, and uh, old age, and vyadi, the disease. We get ourselves entrapped in one of these wonderful little vehicles that, you know, is always breaking down. <laughs> slowly but surely, uh, it slowly breaks down. And so, um, we want to base our life on spirituality. Um, we don't want to have designations, although one can say, I'm a Hare Krishna, that's a designation in a sense. But that designation is meant to ultimately, and, and in that process, ultimately lead us to self-realization. But in that process, we're given a full set of knowledge. And by where each and every one of our actions is um, performed with um, clear knowledge. Clear knowledge. 
so important. In the you will we'll find in the end of the fourth chapter where Krishna says there's nothing so so pure and positive than transcendental knowledge. It is it is a fundamental building block for us to eradicate ourselves from the nescience of this material world. Nescience is a nice word. It basically means ignorance or un unaware, being unaware. We really need to be aware. I remember I used to take my boys, I was a teacher for a long time, like 10, 15 years, and they go through phases. I used to take them to martial arts for Krishna. And everything for Krishna. And um, one of the, one of the, the founder of this particular um, martial art form said, always be aware of your, of your surround, just always be aware. Awareness is very good. Because if we're aware of our surroundings and we're aware of our nature, we take an honest look at our nature and see what our nature is and then we can be aware of where, our, where the trappings are for us. Because everyone has, everyone has a certain set of trappings. And if we can just become aware of that, and then learn how to Tai Chi it off to the side. I when I go to China, I see all these Tai Chi people, man, they're just so graceful, the next swan in the water, you know. And they just they just take all the energy and they just set it aside. So we can just learn the art of understanding ourselves as spirit soul in essence residing within a material body that has the ability to um, take all the energies that one has and utilize them in a positive, what would you say, format for advancing in spiritual life, then we see hope. Then we can see hope. Otherwise, it's hopeless. On the material side, even if you, even if your life is one of just nothing falling off the table onto the floor, even if your life is just everything that it could possibly be, it has a termination point. And it has to stop. And so we don't want that. Because that's not our, our in, in essence, that's not what we are. We're not meant that. We're not even meant to experience that. And when we do experience it, it's It's like giving up the old clothes and taking on new clothes. You know, we really don't worry about it so much. And where we go, that's up to Krishna. And we know that because Krishna is omniscient, he's all knowing. He has he has a complete understanding of what is the best place for us to go at the next for us to either learn the next lesson so that we can continue to progress in our spiritual, as they say, sojourn, <coughs> our, spiritual, um, our spiritual path. And if we're meant to go to the spiritual world, he'll put us right where we belong in our eternal relationship with him within one of those five aspects. Neutrality, servitorship, friendship, parental, he'll give us that and that is what we really are. We really are that spirit soul in relationship to the Supreme Lord. And at least theoretically, we have to learn to accept that. When I was reading the introduction today, and probably was explaining 
that when we read this Bhagavad Gita, we may not understand everything. But one thing we should do that if we approach it with at least theoretically, at least in theory, the Supreme Lord is speaking, and there may be some value here, then we apply that value and we see what can come from it. And that's what Krishna consciousness gives us. It gives us a value of life, a purpose of life, you know, our life has value, our life has purpose, our life has meaning, and we do have an ultimate goal. And the ultimate goal is to rekindle that lost relationship that we have with the eternal Supreme Lord. And it all, you know, it's susukam kartamadiyam, and it's very joyfully performed, although it pinches like heck when you're trying to get out of those places. When we try to get out of the material world, there's one agent of the Supreme Lord that says, are you really sure? Do you really want to get out? Do you really want to pay the price? Are you willing to pay the price? And that's a decision we all have to make. We have to make that, we have to make a conscious decision. I'll just end with one nice, it's like the end of the, I always liked this. I remember, you know, like I always, y'all, y'alls know I read this book quite a bit, but every time I, I always say, every time I read it, I always find something new. And one time, a couple of years ago, um, this verse here, um, this third chapter is Karma Yoga. It's very, actually very interesting because it, um, okay, I won't give you the whole That'd take a long time. But it's at the end where Arjuna asks the question, why does one engage in sinful activities? And Krishna said, it's just, it's just impure desires in the heart coming up. And how to cure that? Krishna tells him, tasma ton indu yanyarda, niyam that curb this great symbol of sin, lust, or desire, and slay it by controlling the sense of niyama, niyama. If you study yoga, you'll know that niyama means to control. By regulating the senses, slave this destroyer, by regulating the senses. And then he begins to explain why we need to, how to do that. How do we regulate our senses? How do we come to the point of being able to regulate our senses? Because he says, superior to dull matter is is the senses, the dull, the dull matter, then the, the, the senses, the skin, now I can feel the touching sensation, right, is, is greater, higher than the sense, sense perceptor, and five knowledge acquiring senses, five working senses, they're grouped about the mind, which is known as the eleventh sense, um, it's the subtle sense, so higher than the gross senses, or the subtle sense of the mind, Higher than the mind is the function of the intelligence, which is, which is discrimination and facilitation for our spiritual needs. And then us, the spirit soul, is higher than that. So this is what Krishna says. And then he says, thus knowing oneself to be transcendental to the material senses, mind and intelligence, almighty Arjun, one should study the mind, one should, one should study the mind by s deliberate spiritual intelligence. It's a very, very key phrase. 
deliberate spiritual intelligence, Krishna consciousness, and thus by spiritual strength, by spiritual strength, conquer this insatiable enemy known as lust or desire for sensual education. So it takes a deliberate spirit. It takes deliberate spiritual intelligence. And that okay. I'm, I'm trying to get. I'm trying to get through this, but I just go one more step because. That spiritual intelligence is, is given here because we really want to um, we really want to get there because uh, this, this begin this karma yoga begins at the end of the second chapter which leads into that karma yoga and it's just a similar sentence a similar statement one who is not connected with the supreme in Krishna consciousness can have neither transcendental intelligence so deliberate spiritual intelligence, transcendental intelligence. You see the connection, right? Um, one who is not connected with the Supreme um, can have neither transcendental intelligence nor a steady mind. Everybody's mind, we know, isn't it? Chanchala, flickering. The mind is the best of friends for the trans for one who is situated spiritually, and it's the worst enemy for one who is not. Without, without a steady mind, without good spiritual intelligence, deliberate spiritual actions, and spiritual intelligence, the mind will never be steady. Without which, there's no possibility of being even peaceful. And how can there be any happiness without peace? And that's all everyone is actually looking for. It's just to be happy. Right? Don't worry. Be happy. <laughs> <laughs> Any questions? A nice book. Worthwhile studying. <clears throat> Very, very worthwhile studying because it gives one a good, solid basis for any, any and all challenges of life. Any and all challenges of life can come. And in the end of the fourth chapter, armed with yoga, meaning the fourth chapter deals with transcendental knowledge. And so based with, armed with this type of transcendental knowledge, armed with yoga, stand and fight. So what are we fighting? We're fighting the onslaught of material energy. And so material energy is like a current that's going down and we have to swim upstream. We can't, if we just go with the material flow, we'll go over so many waterfalls, we'll run into so many rocks, so many different things will happen. So this gives us the essence. This is the essence of life. It's the, um, it's the manual for what this, for who God is, who we are, what is material, what this material world is all about, what the material world is all about, what is karma, what it, what is our actions, and time gives these five five topics. Out of these five topics, the, the supreme Lord, the living entity, material nature, and time are eternal, but our action, our karma can be changed, that, that, that karmic reaction that causes us to be bound in this material world 
can be redirected, can be redirected so that the same action, the same things in the material world can be utilized in such a way that we don't have to suffer anymore. Prabhupada gives, when I say Prabhupada for new people, that's the founder of our society. He said, he says that one who has a disorder of the bowels due to overindulgence in milk products can cure the, dis the disorder by another milk product. So in other words, if you eat too much sweet milk, sweet, what we call uh, kir or sweet, you can get bubbles, right? But if you take yogurt, you can cure the bubbles. But we use the hemsa milk, not this other kind of milk. And that's my thoughts, right? I hemsa I, I vegan, right? Or as, or as as my last statement, or as if you're walking and you get a thorn in your foot, then you just go to another thorn, a thorn tree, and you pick a thorn off, and you take that thorn, which is caused in your hand, which is a, a helper, and then you have one thorn in your foot, which is causing distress, and one will, one will, it's the same thing, one is causing distress, and one is causing relief, and so you take that one thorn and you remove this the infected thorn and you get relief. So the thorn is neutral, material energy is neutral, material objects are neutral, everything is neutral, it's how it's utilized, which makes it material and encumbering and, and, and binding us to the world, and one use liberates us from this material world. ABCs. Nancy, you're smiling. <laughs> I see you back there. So any, any questions? It's really not a question, but we were at a Bhagavad Gita study last week, and we were talking about, you know, we're not the body, we're not the body, right? So, you know, I get there, and I tell the conductor, I says, well, this, when we got there, we are talking about, mm -hmm. you know, we're not the body, we're right. not the body. So I got there, and it was really cold, and I said, well, this body is cold. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And because the soul is present, you feel the cold. As soon as the soul is gone, yeah. So I'm trying to. <laughs> You'll be in the refrigerator. I'm trying to revert, where George was body in the third person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, in the third person. You know. Matras prashas to kunte yasito snasukadukuda agamapaino nishas tamstatiksas to baratam. This the what is it? The the so called the so called. Happiness and distress that we feel in this material world—they're like the—they're due to sense perception, and they're like the coming and going of the winter and summer seasons. So, due to sense perception, we perceive the coming, the cold and the hot and things like this. And so, Krishna tells Arjuna uh, to teach you, just tolerate it. Yeah, just tolerate it. You know, it's why? Because it's temporary. It's not worth our value to become absorbed. I mean, we're not saying don't try to, you know, don't self-torture yourself when you don't have, you know, we're not, we're not what do they call those kind of people that self-torture the work? Masochists, we're not masochistic. You know, we're practicalistic. You know, we'll turn the heat on, you know, as long as we can afford the bill. And we'll, you know, utilize um, 
one time I, I, I do I'm not quite sure of this one but I'll encapsulate it within a way which is true but maybe detailed up um, the 747 jet right probably was I was on a jet one time and someone was I think someone asked him or it was um, when he was there or it was proposed you know, a 747 jet and he says if people are going to hell on a 747 jet, then we will utilize the 747 jet to help them escape their flight to hell. So in the same way, it's like I used to use a microphone when I was singing in a rock and roll band, and now the microphone was taking me to hell, the highway to hell, right? And uh, now I'm using it to speak about Bhagavad Gita, and the microphone is being utilized in a spiritual sense. You can do that with everything that you want. Yeah. But make sure, you, make sure you only take that much of material energy that you can utilize without getting spiritual indigestion and falling spiritually sick. Very important aspect. Sometimes we may want to grab on or chew on to more of the material energy that we're able to digest and utilize in the service of God. So we must know our, we must know what our spiritual immune system is able to tolerate before we, before we jump over the, over the limit. Very careful. Yeah. So is uh, Reagan and Heather, are there do they have material cameras or spiritual cameras? Reagan and Heather. Reagan and Heather. Oh, Reagan and Heather. Are these are just materialistic items that they're using? Or? It, uh, it depends on how it's being used. Mm -hmm. If it's used in the service of the Lord for the upliftment of spiritual understanding, then it's spiritual. If it's used simply to um, engage in material activities, what if it's being used for both? And then you get... The it's a paradox. Yeah, well, no. Uh, it depends, you know. We can, I can break that, I can unpack that a little bit. So, if it's used, if it's used for sinful activities, then it's, you get a sinful result. If you utilize your camera equipment, like I think now you're broadcasting this and hopefully I didn't say anything improper. It's not live. That's it's going to be edited. I, I, yeah, edit you're good. My, edit out all my you know, gestures. Um, and so the idea is if it's used in a spiritual sense then it has a spiritual benefit. Now you as a individual need an occupation to, to, to maintain you know, what, third chapter of the Gita, Krishna tells Arjuna, one cannot maintain his own existence if he doesn't do some work. Mm. You know, Krishna doesn't tell everybody just you know stop working. He tells everybody do your work in spiritual consciousness and dedicate it to me. So if part of your work is to go and take pictures of plants, or I'm just making that as an example, or people or whatever, and that gives you a monetary basis to lead your life, which you dedicate to the service of the Lord, then that 
then that working occupation is spiritualized. Mm -hmm. And it bears no karmic fruit. Because the ultimate end of that action is to, is to satisfy the Supreme Lord by allowing you as a spiritual, what was it? I call myself, what do I say now? I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a human that wears saffron, saffron's like, you know, that's aspiring for spiritual perfection. Mm -hmm. So if you, in your endeavor, in, in what, you, what, what, what you need to develop, you know, on, at your level, or whatever, I'm not saying your level is less than mine, and mine is greater than yours, or mine is less than yours, yours is greater than mine, but whatever you decide to utilize, your body, mind, and soul in action is for, and it's ultimately meant to satisfy the Supreme Lord, and there's no harm. But as soon as it's, as soon as there's any indication of something other than that, then We'll get a little pinch. I remember one time somebody, I had a, I a little watch. I was at the campus, University of Florida, and some young man came up, hey dude, man, you're like so spiritual, why are you wearing a watch? Okay. Was he gonna next ask me why I'm wearing clothes? <laughs> you know? And I asked him, I said, is the watch material spiritual? He said, dude, it's material. You're supposed to be spiritual. And I said, what constitutes something being spiritual and what constitutes something being material? And he said, dude, man, it's like metal and plastic and this. And I said, yeah, but how is it being utilized? The knife in the hand of this expert surgeon cuts somebody and removes illness. The, hand in the, the knife in the hand of the criminal cuts someone and slits their throat and takes them. The instrument is neutral. It's in the it's in the consciousness of the person that's utilizing it. It makes it good in the material world or bad in the material world or spiritually applied or materially applied. And so are your cameras spiritual? That you'll have to judge. I'll never judge that. Judge not, least ye be judged. <laughs> I follow that path yeah. now. I'm a, I'm a multi-religious person. <laughs> One time I went to the pharmacy, I was with some friends, and I pulled into the drive-in to get my thyroid medicine, and, uh, and uh, I don't know what you call it, the pharmacist said, why are you a multi-profile personality? And my friend said, you're not a multi-profile, he's a multi-personality person. <laughs> <laughs> It only happens, you know, not only happens to me, but it happens to me. I can't say only. <laughs> but I, get, I always get those funny situations. And maybe because I have a little sense of humor or something. <laughs> so your camera, you have a choice. You have a choice. So anything. Whatever we do, whatever we eat, whatever we give away, our family, our friends, our homes, this is the home. Krishna's here in the home, right in the middle of the house. The children, I know his children, I think, they, you know, they worship, they help with the worship of the deity, they offer their food to the deity. I know one little girl, she's only four years old, before she eats anything, she puts it in front of a picture of Guru Krishna. She won't eat, she's four years old, she won't eat anything, then she puts it in the pit, front of a picture of Krishna and her and grew. 
which is the process to get the purify. In other words, the food stuff, no matter what it is, one living entity is living off the life of another. So even if you minimize it down to being like a ahimsa vegan, which is probably about as little, you know, carbon neutral as you can get, you know, plant-based diet plants, you know, you have to eat something, but there's still life there. So unless one offers that for sacrifice to the Lord, then it, 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 there has to be a way out of the cycle and karma of birth and death. And so in the material world, it's in such a way that everything will cause us to remain in this cycle until every action is dovetailed to the service of the Lord. Mm. And so even our eating on a, on a, on a goodness level <coughs> will bind us on, a good, on, on the platform of goodness. But if we offer it to the Lord and say, let's say, my dear Lord, this broccoli and this asparagus or whatever, rice, it's coming from you. Thank you with a heart full of gratitude that you have made this world in such a way that if I just recognize you and utilize my existence for serving you, you're giving me an out. That's how kind he is. Amazing. I remember one time about two years ago, I just thought, man, Krishna is just so smart that he takes a place where you use something one way and we can think that we're independent of the Lord, we don't need them, we're, we're the owners, and we're the controllers, and we're the enjoyers, and we're this, and we're king this, and we're queen that, and we're all this, and if we use it in another way, and that just binds us in this world, but we just take that same stuff and use it a different way, we get a completely different result. Because Christian knows that when we leave the spiritual world, we're not gonna be happy here. Because we're not meant, we're spirit, we're not, we're not matter. And so, in order, in order for this world to be perfect, he has to make it in such a way that we can actually go out. The same way the spiritual world is perfect in the fact that we don't have to stay there. If we were forced to stay in the material, spiritual world, it would be imperfect because we'd be imprisoned in a place where with our independence we may not want to be. And so that independence is given by God. And without independence, there's no, I've said this so many times, people that have been here before pray. <laughs> you know, if there's no if there's no independence, there's no meaning to love. And the and the relationship that we have with God is based on love. If I hold a gun to your head and say I can't remember which one you are. <laughs> Ray. Ray, right? Ray. You love me, right? Ray? I got a gun in. Yeah, Marge, I love you. I'm cool, right? right? Man, you're the coolest one I've ever been to the Nintendo's house, I swear to God. <laughs> but as soon as I put the gun down, you can say, man, you're you're like one of the worst people I've ever met. What am I going to do? And so, that, so if I do like this, there's no independence. And so what is the meaning of that type of love? Forced love? Disgusting. Forced love, disgusting. Especially when it gets down to the gross pace, you know, level of impropriety, you know, inappropriate, you know, actions and stuff. It's just simply disgusting. But real love, based on individual uh, decisions, you know, based on information that we get, then that type of love is, is, is lasting. And it is beneficial, you know, it's to our benefit. 
And so God's not going to hold a gun to our head and say, love he's not some psycho up there. Right? He doesn't have any mental issues. He doesn't have any psychotic issues. He's, he's all benevolent, all kind, all giving, all potent, all, all, all knowing. Everything he has. And we don't want to ever limit him. And we don't want to ever limit our ability to, to achieve him. Because he's given that venue. He's given that venue for us to achieve him. And it's a wonderful venue. But it's not easy. When I woke up this morning, I said, I think I've chosen the most difficult path of life. I have a question. Sure. Do you think the Lord sometimes tells people things like you, a teacher, or leads you to say things that directly are at someone else? Because about ten things you've said to me <laughs> since I've been here, I've had questions about, and never, and I didn't understand, and now I'm 100% clear on all the things, all the questions that I had. That's why I haven't had to raise my hand because everything I've had, I've questioned. You 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 say it. It's like you read my mind or something. <laughs> I'm ten for ten. That's pretty good. <laughs> um, I've I've been around for about forty five years now in the Hare Krishna movement, and I've never attended a program where some question was on my heart that didn't get answered somehow in that in that atmosphere. I've never opened a book where there wasn't something in my heart that was needing assistance that wasn't answered. So yes. Is it me? No. It's the Lord speaking through you, right? Well, I'm hoping I'm staying on target. You know, I hope I haven't deviated. Um, the, 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 the responsibility of someone who takes up the process of sharing information, I don't want to <coughs> preach, you know I mean? Teach, teach maybe, okay, sharing information. Um, the the sole qualification is that we don't we do our very very best not to adulterate or to change anything that we haven't we can, as I speak you can hear me saying the words from the, the Sanskrit and stuff from the Gita because every statement must be backed up by Shastra, Guru Shastra and Sada Guru means teacher Shastra means scripture and Sada means saintly persons we have a check and balance system to make sure we're staying on track. And, and in order for us to stay on track, we have these three checks and balances. So that which I say is based on that. Um, the level of my realization is varied. Um, sometimes it's coming from uh, deep within my heart. Um, and a certain percentage is actualized and some of it is just theorized. In other words, I heard, and because I've heard and so many other things have become true, I can accept this as truth and share this as truth because it's, it's there within Guru Sadhana and Shastra. And I just, I always pray for um, the ability to convey without, without, any, any, without any distortion or something like that. One really nice Christian preacher started the Saddleback, Saddleback, Saddle Ranch, something like that, church in California. And I watched him one time, watched him one time give a, you know, on the, and he said, I, I, I pray for a moment of clarity. 
And that's kind of like one of my mantras. One of my mantras, you know the word mantra? Mantra, yeah. Mantras like in, they use it in the newspaper <laughs> Pandit, that's a Sanskrit word, mantra, rule. And um, because if you can get a moment of clarity, a moment of clarity means a pause from the chaos of the material energy and just focus on what I am, where I am, and how I can utilize this to the best spiritual advantage I have and not, you know, and, and, and also not even lose on a material level. Because one, if, if, if one does everything materially perfect according to rules and regulations of Scripture, but doesn't come to the point of love of God, then all he's done is just uh, shaking the husks in the husker and not getting any fruit. But if, even if one has engages in the devotional service of the Lord, but later falls down due to worldly-mindedness, what has he lost? Because, again, whatever, he's, whatever one gains spiritually can never be diminished. I quoted that verse, may have karana. In this endeavor, there is no loss or diminution and a little advancement can protect them from the most dangerous type of fear. And so, there's no loss for someone. Even if I go after this program and just ruin my life spiritually and just engage in all kinds of material sinful activities, everything I've gained spiritually is there in the bank balance. And as soon as I come to my senses, whether this life or the next life or the next life, I'll be right at that platform. And that's Christian's guarantee. You know, it really reminds me of something when Lisa and I first came here. I, I think it may have been you uh, gave the part that said, if you take one step toward Krishna, he takes ten steps toward you. Yes. Well, Andrew, you made your first step being here tonight. Okay, and you had ten questions, and so Krishna is taking ten steps toward you. <laughs> there you go. I appreciate you coming again because you came Sunday, and this is a sign of, I mean, in my heart, it's a sign of sincerity or a sign of, you know, sincerity or inquisitiveness. Human life begins when we inquire about the absolute truth. That's human life. You take, you know, human life is given good intelligence. It's the closest, it's, a, it's, the, it's the type of, or it's a form of life that allows us to advance spiritually. The animals, the plants, the stuff, they're, they're the same kind of soul and they just wear different types of clothes. Plant body is, the plant has a soul just like you or I, but it's in a plant. Plant clothes, animal clothes, reptile clothes. But the human form of life is a lack of responsibility because we have good intelligence and we're meant to discern what is to be done and what is not to be done. And that, that ultimately ends up being based on scriptural teachings that are in, that which are which are certified by Guru Sadhavans of the checks and balances. The checks and balances have to be there. And that's what really protects us. As the designation, Hare Krishna. <laughs> okay, we really stretched it. Uh, I went 45 minutes. Okay. No, did I go? I went, oh, I... I misread my watch. And thank you all for this. Thank you. Thank it's you a pleasure to be with such wonderful soul-seeking 
individuals. While they bring out the prasadam, I'll just share a little bit. Faith is a constant. I think we discussed it. Faith is a constant. And so, and so spiritual faith, or any kind of faith, is developed in association. If you want to be a musician, you associate with other musicians. You want to be a business, you associate with business people. You want to be a gangster, you hang out with gangsters, right? Very good now. Been there, done Got that. the scars to show. Yeah. yeah. And so the idea is, if you want, if you want to increase your spiritual faith, you associate with those who are such are faithful and have that, and have some sense of faith or desire to gain that faith. And by that association, one's faith will grow. And when one's faith grows and matures, then one, according to scripture, will be able to get direct communion with the Lord. When you say faith, do you mean like experience of something that's real to you? Uh, faith, according to Chaitanya Charitamrita, means unflinching trust in something sublime. So if you trust, it means you've had a good experience with it. And, or you could have a bad experience. Trust that it's going to be bad. Or, or in other words, the bad experience gives you information that what I'm doing gives you faith that this isn't the right thing to do. Mm. You see what I'm saying? So, but faith in and of itself is very sublime. It's compared to fine china. If it's broken, it's very hard to repair. And therefore, we find that when we place our faith in the material, in the material sense, we find it being broken at all the time. And if we place it in religious practices which don't have checks and balances to govern it, we find them, even in our religious so-called pursuits, sometimes our faith is shaken. And even in Krishna consciousness, we find that um, there are there are faith-shaking um, circumstances because each and every individual that comes to the process of a spiritual comes in, in, in contact of a spiritual process is on a certain spiritual around their heart and if we can have an honesty of heart and an openness of heart without judgment and without prejudice then we have a chance proceed on the spiritual path. But that faith, as you say, if you have a good experience, it'll be it'll be enhanced. But um, my experience is also that even those things which seem to be bad experiences can also have a positive effect. Because it makes me examine my heart to see that if that, if, that, if that unwanted thing exists in this aspiring spiritualist, is it, is it present within my heart? And what do I have to do to get that out of my heart to make progress spiritually? And share that experience and communicate with, with everyone on an honest level. And then hopefully both of us, or all of us, have the opportunity once again, you know, get out of this mess. Out of this mess. But yeah, positive experience is always good. Mark Twain said, "If if someone gives me a compliment, I can go for three months on that one." <laughs> <laughs>
I like Mark Tire, yeah. <laughs> and the guy had a couple of good ones. He's got a couple of, a lot of all those guys got the nasty side too, but we just say, you know, what can you do? <laughs> what can I do with this? Okay, so we'll take a little spiritual food. It's described that when you offer the food to the Supreme Lord, the karma reaction is removed and the it is called prasad, mercy of the Lord, because by the mercy of the Lord is removed the karmic effect and this type of foodstuffs nourishes the finer tissues of the brain which allows us to have a deeper grasp of spiritual practices and spiritual knowledge. This is given in Bhagavad Gita three different places. It talks about the finer tissues of the brain. What I, I think modern psychologists and neurologists, they say we only use 10%. That's because we only need 10% to function on a material level. We need the other 90% to get out of the material world and experience <laughs> That one, that's the tough one. That's the one that really takes the effort. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, Krishna.